0: Crime and Punishment is, is a riveting story. Raskolnikov, the hero, goes through this whole process, deep process of deep repentance, which doesn't really unfold and, and, and really open up until the last pages of the book. And it's just a great masterpiece because of the study of of human psychology and pride. <laughs> Welcome to Faith and Culture, a production of the Augustan Institute. Every week, we explore the glory of the Catholic faith and the beauty of Catholic culture. And now, here's the host of Faith and Culture, Joseph Pierce.
1: Hello, I'm Joseph Pierce, and welcome to another Faith and Culture podcast of the Augustan Institute. My guest today is my good friend, Father Dwight Lungeneker. Welcome, Father Dwight. Thank you. And we going to discuss today. I've asked Father Dwight to name five of his favourite novels, and we're from, going to be novel gazing, <laughs> you know, yes. as a, as opposed to naval gazing. Yes, yes. that's right. Well, that's good. Yeah, and you know, and obviously, it's a bit of a challenge to find uh, to sit to, to should we say narrow the list down to just five, but rather heroically, Father Dwight's. Uh, succeed in that and on the list of five we have two uh, english novels two american novels and one russian so uh we'll we'll work our way through
0: i did not read it in the in the original language i'm afraid really no no
1: Uh, you you disappoint me father you disappoint me (laughs) i still i I find it difficult to read american literature in the american english well there
0: you go you don't read read american in the original language either do
1: you my my wife says that she's still learning english as a second language um she's warning California. especially
0: in one of my choices in huckleberry finn which we might start with uh there's a fair bit of american patois in there there's a it's written in american sort of lingo so you had to cope with all that southern i i, I had to work my way wade my way through that yes yeah
1: so i can just begin with the uh, the american novel huckleberry finn then by, by obviously by mark twain and
0: why do you single this out to be one of the illustrious five on your list you know i think it's because mark twain um it's it's his masterpiece he moves from being a journalist and writing lighthearted stuff and short stories and so forth and Tom Sawyer, which was great fun. Uh, but in Huckleberry Finn, he's actually dealing with some pretty serious stuff uh, and uh, he's writing a real classic. And I think one of the reasons he's, it's a classic is because he's he's got what I call the orphan hero. And the orphan hero is a character who appears uh, in all sorts of literature uh, and storytelling down through the ages because the orphan hero is... The character we all feel sorry for. Anybody feels sorry for a lost child. Uh, But also, the orphan hero is invariably, within the story, searching for the father. And that is a deep theme within the human heart of searching for the father. And Huckleberry Finn uh, is, in many ways, it's a road story. They're they're traveling, uh, and on the journey, uh, through all his adventures, Huck is looking for his father. Right. Okay. And obviously, the road is the Mississippi River. In yeah, fact, it's, and mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and I've I've
1: heard uh, critics that know much more about American literature. I do talk about the, the symbolic significance of the river itself within within the novel. Right. Well, let's let's stay this side of the pond before we cross over to the other side, because there's I say two uh, uh, pieces of American literature on your list, and the other one is the Thanata Syndrome by Walker Percy. Um, why why does that one find itself
0: on your list? Walker Percy is. Um, a- really underrated as far as I'm concerned he and, and I think it's because he is a bit of an acquired taste um, you have to read all his books I think to really sort of get into his his head and that's because he's he's this sort of diffident uh, southern gentleman very reserved it seems to me and kind of with a very wry sense of humor and observational, distance that he has in his books, which goes back to his personality, which was very often depressive and, and uh, tragic, um, su- various suicides in his family which haunted him, and therefore there's this uh, sort of reticent middle-aged man who, who's, who occupies, who, who um, populates his stories. And Th- Thanatos Syndrome is a comic novel, at the same time a very serious novel, if you're not familiar with the plot, uh, this doctor in a small town in the in the south discovers that all he's a I, th- I believe he's a psychiatrist, but all of his patients, the, all their problems seem to have gone away. Uh, they seem to be happy, and the worries they had about their marriage or their career or their health or whatever it all just seem to be drying up. And he can't figure this out. And it turns out that there are some friends of his who are experimenting with putting um, some happy, happy drug into the water supply. And this happy drug in the water supply, um, is also, uh, a contraceptive. And so, uh, it also increases libido. So basically everybody is very happy all the time because they're having everything they want, power, pleasure, money, relationships with no consequences at all. And these guys are saying, Hey, we've solved the world's problems. He then goes in uh, and has a very interesting character who came through the Second World War. And he's a priest. And he then makes some comparisons about the master race and and therefore any kind of ideology, any kind of utopia, any kind of um, plan that's going to make everybody happy. And the the novel has a comic and a horrible ending uh, which is suitable for its its theme. Anyway, it's, it's a... One of my favorites. Yeah,
1: well, I am um, again. I, you, I haven't read that. It's, what, it's, it's one of my many, numerous sins of omission. I have read some other Walker Percy books that I won't bore you with now. Um, some of his other novels and he's *Lost in the Cosmos* as well. But, but, and I love his um, his uh, his essay on bourbon Kentucky mm-hmm. bourbon. Um, that's the block inside to him. But yes, he's 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 wryly humorous. Um, and that, that the theme you just j- just described to me reminds me actually very much of a play uh, by um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn called mm-hmm. a *Candle in the Wind* where basically neurosurgeons take this highly strung girl and basically through through operating on her brain make her um happy yes but of course she she's actually ceased to be as human uh that the suffering was part of who she was as a person and her life is empty even though it's she's actually not suffering as much and again you know this this seems to me that alexander solzhenitsyn the great russian and uh Uh, and Walker Percy had to have something similar in mind here. Well, as we've been talking about Russia... Uh, maybe we can. I was gonna. I was gonna cross the pond to the two English ones, but maybe we'll go across the Bering Strait the other way. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go in that direction. <laughs> we'll head east rather than the west, uh, and, and, and go to Russia. Because one one of the titles, one of the novels on your list of your, your five favorites, so I asked you to, uh, to list for me was *Crime and Punishment* by Dostoevsky.
0: So, would you like to tell me why this is on your list? Well, one of the reasons on my list is that it's shorter than *The Brothers Karamazov*, and they're. <laughs> <laughs> which, 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 along with War and Peace, takes some real um, wading, wading through the deep waters it's, it's, in those It's book. the
1: marathon running of the reading world. yes. Yeah. Right. And
0: um, someone once said, uh, if you ever meet anyone who says that they've uh, finished reading War and Peace, uh, they're either heroic or lying. <laughs> and but that, that that applies even more to Ulysses by James Joyce, which, yes. which uh, people brag say they have read, but I don't believe it. Yeah, right. uh, and, anyway, and <laughs> anyway Crime and Punishment is is a riveting story um, in which the hero is a young man who is a young student and he he believes himself to be uh, a kind of Nietzschean hero that he is one of those unique people who is above the common crowd and is therefore the the normal rules of, of morality don't apply to him and therefore he for a good reason can do an immoral action And it it doesn't matter because he is doing it for a good reason. So he um, goes and he murders a terrible old crone who is a pawnbroker and she's a greedy, horrible person. He considers her to be a human cockroach and not worthy of life. And he he kills her to take the money because he's then going to use that to do some noble thing. I forget what it is. Um, But her innocent sister that she lives with uh, stumbles on him after the murder and he has to kill her too okay so it all goes not because she knows she's a witness right the story then unfolds as as he deals with his guilt which he didn't th- think what he would have to deal with but he actually because he was superior and uh the detective who tracks him down and eventually um he confesses and there's also a subplot of his love for sonia um, a young girl from a very very poor family, who's in, in deep in in the in the kind of suffering that you only get in a Russian novel, okay. Um, and so th- this story unfolds, but but what is interesting about it to me is that um, Raskolnikov, the hero, goes through this whole process, deep process of deep repentance, which doesn't really unfold and and, and really open up until the last pages of the book, and it's just a great masterpiece because of the study of, of human psychology and pride and going before a fall and so forth. The other thing which um, interests me, a little bit of trivia about Crime and Punishment, is that the detective, and I forget his name, but the detective is this uh, wise and witty uh, man who watches the the murderer and seems to know from the beginning that he's guilty, but he just watches and waits while the murderer walks into his trap and and he actually catches him playing on his guilt which he knows good. He understands the psychology of what's going. On. So it's really interesting. And what's interesting about it is for anybody who likes the TV detective Columbo, the writers of Columbo said that they based Columbo on the detective in Crime and Punishment. Huh, so there's a little bit a little bit of uh yeah. cultural trivia for you there. That yeah,
1: trivia throwing in on top. A yeah. bit of everything. All right, now we will actually cross to the other side of the pond to England because our last two selections are both uh, works by uh, English writers and let's begin with the older of the two uh in terms of uh when 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 they were written. Uh we'll go back to the early 19th century to uh Jane Austen and you've selected of uh I'm sure many of her novels you could have chosen but you've chosen Sense and Sensibility. So what is it about this novel that particularly attracts you?
0: Well, I don't know. I always seem to be attracted more by the second string than the most famous. You know, I like um Everybody seems like Charlie Chaplin and and I'm for the the other silent film heroes who are a bit more sort of subtle than he is. And I think Sense and Sensibility attracts me rather than Pride and Prejudice, which is everybody's favorite. Sense and Sensibility and Emma both uh, attract me a bit more because they're Jane Austen. I think is at a height of her powers in those two stories. She's uh, the the craftsmanship of her of her stru- story structure seems to be there, which she seemed to do that instinctively. She just knew how to weave the story together and create these characters in this ingenious way. But she also, in the story of Sense and Sensibility, I think uh, goes a little bit in more depth into the characterization and the motivations of the, of the family and the sufferings of the family a bit more than she does in Pride and Prejudice. Uh, we see uh, the the family being disinherited and having to suffer real poverty and, and the demands, therefore, on the two girls who it's made clear that now that they're in, in, in poverty, a, a woman of that generation and that age, the only hope she had for a comfortable life and a, a life which was not one of total suffering was making a good marriage, but she's she's helpless to do anything about it. Right. And what I love about the the Christian aspect of this is the helplessness of, of the two sisters, knowing that they have to somehow or other attract a, a good husband but they can't do anything about right, it, right. and and we're therefore reminded of how we're thrown onto God's grace and how we long for happiness and long for love and long, long for everything which is good. But in in the end, if we we can't do anything on our own, and if we do, very often we mess up. Uh, and but God's grace and providence prevails uh, to bring about the happy ending. And the the, the other thing I, I I like about sensibility is that Jane Austen's a great
1: philosopher as well. I mean, I think she's one of the deepest thinkers of all, of, of all writers of literature and you know that she's playing i think if that's the right word Or struggling with with sense and sensibility with romanticism and classicism i mean she clearly was an admirer of uh of edmund burke and so she has this sort of uh very non-romantic aspect and yet obviously she's uh she's and, and certainly she had no time for the sort of the Emily Bronte, or Eddie Bronte was afterwards, but that sort of
0: uh uh Mary Shelley would be the would be the contemporary. No, she, she, right? she doesn't go down yeah. the romantic side right. trail at all, does yeah. she? No. It, this is also why I love her. Is is uh, I guess because I, I lived in England for twenty five years. I I really appreciate her humor. Again, um the humor is embedded in the story and in the characterization. She's she's a great wit and she's a great satirist as well. She um very delicately um, reveal, <laughs> reveals the hypocrisy and the foolishness largely of her Anglican clergymen uh, in a lot of her stories, but also the um, social pretensions of people and the hauteur of uh, the aristocrats. And some of the scenes that she writes are just absolutely... And, you I, want I, to I, read I, them I, over and over again. Yeah, because and, the, never, the, and never from the perspective of cynicism,
1: from the perspective of a of devout Christian, who nonetheless can poke fun at the pride uh, yes. of of yeah. uh, of fellow, but not with cruelty. Man. No, no, with with love. Actually, ultimately with love, because yes. she's a Christian, clearly a devout Christian, and and Aristotelian, and even you could even say a Thomist yes. in philosophy. She understands the human condition, and she understands the, how amusing we become when we actually allow our. Vices to get the yes. better of us.
0: I would say that the film, the film version of *Sense and Sensibility*, written by Emma Thompson, is actually excellent. I don't know whether you've seen it, but um, it's one of the few um, novel, you know, book to, to film transitions, which is is very effective. Um, it's filmed beautifully, it's acted very well and brings out the pathos and, and the real emotion in the story yeah, I know I
1: have, I have friends that, that that will shoot you down in flames, I have watched some friends that they just don't like any of the movie adaptations, they're, they're purists, but I, know, I don't recall watching Sense and Sensibility, the Emma Thompson, but I do remember the Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice and I certainly thoroughly enjoy that. Yeah,
0: um, and that was very good, that was very good. Yeah. That was a television adaption and, and uh, Sense and Sensibility is a wonderful film adaption of um, those two are the best Jane Austen adaptions. The others lapse into kind of they turn it into silly love stories but right, but there's right. the, those two film adaptions are, are more faithful
1: okay yeah. and then so the, finally, then our final a final uh selection uh is a 20th century british novel by evening war a great favorite of both of uh, both of us uh and his masterpiece i think both of us would agree is *Brideshead revisited so
0: why is *Brideshead revisited uh one of the one of the uh, the top five for you Oh, because I guess, again, my, the time I spent in England and, and knowing the culture and knowing the uh, the whole background of it, I was able to appreciate it at a, at a deeper level. Uh, studying at Oxford, the scenes from Oxford and so forth hit home, and you could recognize the locations. You could recognize the personality types. You, you could recognize the whole thing, and, and uh, I guess that's why it's really high on my list. And I, I realize also um, a lot of my American friends just don't get it. Uh, they right. they can appreciate it as a as a a novel, but they're appreciating it the way we we might appreciate that Russian novel. We didn't live in Russia, <laughs> we didn't know Russia in the, in the middle of the winter, you know. But I'm, I've have known England in the middle of the winter and known the whole social structure, and I can pick up all the nuances in in War's book. Although so, uh, although I would say, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I would just go further. I think that War
1: has a great ability to bring a landscape to life. So, for instance, the, the opening pages of *Brideshead* where he brings to life. Um, post-World War One Oxford I mean you can you almost feel and the the, the fragrance of the place and and you can you, you get the atmosphere even if you haven't been to Oxford and certainly I haven't been to post-World War
0: One Oxford and, and I, I certainly do find it very evocative the way that he oh he yeah describes he, it. He, he, he certainly brings it to life and I, I think anybody who makes an effort can appreciate it but I'm just saying that having lived over there you right. can just soak it up that much more yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're
1: we're out of time. It's a shame because um, we could we could have a whole a whole uh, discussion on Dwight, and maybe that that maybe we will one day. Um, but uh, this has been Father Dwight Longenecker's five favorite novels, and to quickly recap, they were in the order in which we discussed them: Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, Thanata Syndrome, Walker Percy, and then we Crime and Punishment, by Dostoevsky, Sense and Sensibility, by Jane Austen, and Briar's Head, Revisited by Evening War. What a wonderful selection of novels. Father Dwight Longenecker, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And this has been Joseph Pierce, with another Faith and Culture podcast, with the Augustan Institute. Thank you for joining me, and please do join me next time. Until then, goodbye, and God bless.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Faith and Culture with Joseph Pierce. Faith and Culture is a production of the Augustine Institute. For more information, please visit us at faithandculture.com.